Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, episode titled After the Funeral, where a man disinherits his sole beneficiary and bequeaths his wealth to others just prior to his death, Perot is called to investigate. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this nostalgic mystery radio. Thank you for listening. I'm sure that some of you have trains to catch back to London and will in any case not wish to remain here for long. Now that Richard Abernethy has gone to his last resting place, it only remains for me as his executor... I didn't know that. Did he leave me anything? Oh, do be quiet, Cora. Up to a year ago, Richard Abernethy's will was very simple. Subject to certain legacies, he left everything to his son Mortimer. But after Mortimer's tragic death... I pointed out to him that it would be advisable for him to make new testamentary dispositions. What would have happened if he hadn't made a new will? Would it all have gone to Timothy as next of kin? It is possible that your husband may have been the sole beneficiary, but since Mr. Abernethy decided to make a new will, uh, that is not really pertinent. First of all, as I am sure you all know, he decided to get acquainted with the younger generation. <laughs> he tried us all, Greg and me, then Rosamond and Michael, and then Cousin George. And we were all weighed in the balance and found wanting. Oh, I don't intend to burden you with the niceties of legal phraseology. Basically, it amounts to this. The bulk of the estate is to be divided into six equal portions. Four of these are to go to Richard's brother Timothy, his nephew George Crossfield, and his nieces Susan Banks and Rosamond Shane. The other two portions are to be held upon trust and the income paid to Mrs. Helen Abernethy, the widow of his brother Leo, and to his only surviving sister, Cora Lancanay, during their lifetime. The capital, after their death, is to be divided among the other four beneficiaries or their issue. Oh, how very kind and generous of Richard. He was very fond of you, and I know that he appreciated your visits to him after your husband died. I only wish I'd realised how ill he was. But I don't imagine that anyone expected the end to come as quickly as it did. Oh, it upset poor Timothy dreadfully. So sudden, he kept on repeating, so sudden. Still, it's been hushed up nicely, hasn't it? I mean, it can't do any good making it public. Really, Cora? I'm afraid I don't quite understand what you mean. Oh? But he was murdered, wasn't he? We present... John Moffat as Hercule Poirot in Agatha Christie's After the Funeral. Five four nine eight. I'd like to speak to Mr. Entwistle, please. Speaking. Of Bard, Entwistle, Entwistle, and Bard. Yes, that is so. Oh, this is Inspector Morton, and I'm speaking from the police station at Lidget St. Mary. I'm sorry to disturb you at home, Mr. Entwistle, but I believe that the Abernethy family are clients of yours. Certain of them, yes. I'm sorry to have to tell you that Cora Abernethy was found dead at her cottage late this afternoon. She's been murdered. Murdered? But that's... Are you sure? No doubt about it, I'm afraid, Mr. Entwistle. She'd been violently attacked with a hatchet. William Entwistle has been a trusted friend of mine for many years. 
and the moment I heard his voice on the telephone, I knew that he had something quite extraordinary to tell me. I don't know whether I'm making the most colossal fool of myself, but I'd like to put the facts before you, and perhaps you can tell me what you think. I invited him to come round at once. He looked thin and pale, and so utterly worn out that I sat him down by the fire and asked the excellent Georges to bring us sole Veronique and escalope de Vaux-Milanaise with a bottle of Puy-Fuissé, followed by an excellent Corton. It was not until I was sipping my creme de menthe and Mr. Entwistle was sniffing appreciatively at a fine brandy that I permitted him to tell his story and heard what had taken place after the funeral. He was murdered, wasn't he? That is what she said, and the following afternoon she herself was murdered, and most brutally. Hmm. It may, of course, have been the purest coincidence. But before we proceed further, I would like to learn a little about the people who were present in the room when she spoke those words. Tell me about these Abernethys. The name is curiously familiar. Corn plasters. Come on. Abernethy's corn plasters. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, they were the basis of the family fortune. Old Cornelius, who founded the firm, died years ago, and it was his son Richard who inherited the business. I've made out a family tree for you. Thank you. And uh, Richard was the man at whose funeral this curious incident took place? Yes, that's right. Cora... The woman who blurted out that he had been murdered? Yes. She was the youngest sister. She and Timothy were the only surviving children of Cornelius. Timothy, however, was not present at the funeral. He's an invalid and was represented by his wife, Maud. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about the younger generation? Were they present? Oh, yes, they were there. George Crossfield, the son of Robert's sister, Laura, she died some time ago. He works in a solicitor's office. Not a very reputable firm, I'm afraid. But then he isn't a very reputable kind of person. And Susan and Gregory Banks, who are they? Susan's father, Gordon Abernethy, was killed in the war. She's a girl of considerable personality, rather too much so, perhaps. Her husband is just the opposite. A pale, weedy-looking chap. A chemist's assistant, if you please. The family didn't care for it at all, but uh, she would have him. Which leaves us with Rosamond and Michael Shane. Rosamond was Geraldine's daughter. She's an actress of sorts. Her husband, Michael, is an actor. Good-looking fellow. Knows it, too. So that completes the list of those who were present at the reading of the will? No, there was one other person there. Helen, the widow of Leo Abernethy. A most attractive woman. Hmm. A little more cognac, perhaps. Oh, thank you. It's truly excellent. And uh, now, my friend, tell me... Do you believe that this woman, Cora, was speaking the truth when she said that her brother had been murdered? Yes, I do. Why? Why? But yes, why? Is it because already deep down you had an uneasiness about the manner of Richard Abernethy's death? Oh, no. no. It was a little sudden, perhaps, a, a little unexpected. He had been in for some time and might have been expected to last a little longer, but there was nothing suspicious about his death. And so... If you believe that what Cora Abernethy said is true, it must be something to do with Cora herself. You knew her well? I had not seen her for, oh, over twenty years. She was a thin slip of a girl when I knew her. When she turned up at the funeral, she was a stout middle-aged woman. 
but the moment I saw her, I recognized her at once. She wore her hair in just the same way, a bang cut straight across her forehead, and she had a trick of peering up at you through her fringe and putting her head to one side and coming up with something outrageous. And where had she been during these twenty years? She married a French chap, a, a painter, Pierre Lanconet, uh, whom she had met when she was studying at art school. Richard was dead against it, thought he was marrying her for her money, uh, but while he was making inquiries into Lanconet's background, the pair of them eloped to Brittany. Hmm. And was he a good painter? Oh, quite dreadful, by all accounts. Hmm. Not a very nice man either, I believe. He must have died, oh, twelve years ago, I suppose. Now tell me, when she said what she did about her brothers having been murdered, how did the others react? Well, everyone was rather embarrassed, I think, and there was a chorus of protest. And how did she react to that? She became rather confused and said something like, oh, but I, I thought from what he told me, and then everyone went on to talk of something else. And before she came out with Richard being murdered, she had said something about it all having been hushed up very nicely. Yes, yeah, that's right. Hmm. And the very next day, Corey is murdered, and you ask yourself whether it is cause and effect. Well, yes. I, I know it all seems quite fantastic. No, 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 not at all. The perfect murder, the murder of Richard Abernethy, has been committed, and suddenly it appears that there is one person who has a knowledge of the truth. That person must be silenced as soon as possible. Have you spoken of these matters to the police? No, it, it didn't seem to me that any good purpose could be achieved. If Richard Abernethy was murdered, there seems only one method by which it could have been done. By poison? Exactly. And since the body has been cremated, there's no available evidence. But I decided that I myself must be satisfied. That is why I have come to you. Who was in the house at the time of Richard Abernethy's death? An old butler who'd been with him for years, a cook and a housemaid. But I hardly see If it was poisoning, it must presumably have been a narcotic of some kind, so that if he died in his sleep, there would be no suspicious appearances. And since I understand that he was already taking a narcotic of some sort, we shall never be able to prove anything. Ah, but remember, my friend, we are dealing not with one murder, but with two. And the death of Corononcone is a very different affair. So let us turn to that. The first I heard of it was when I received a phone call from the police at Lichardson Mary. Uh, they told me she had been killed earlier that day. The day after the reading of the will. But why did they come to you? Apparently, Cora's housekeeper or companion or whatever she is was a bit vague about her relatives' names and telephone numbers, so she put them on to me. I drove over to Lichardson Mary the following morning. I understand that Mrs. Lanconet had been to the funeral of her elder brother on the day before her death. That is so, Inspector. I was there myself. There was nothing unusual in her manner? Nothing strange or apprehensive? Is it customary for there to be something strange in the manner of a person who is shortly to be murdered? No, I'm not thinking of a premonition or anything of that sort. I'm just hunting around for something a bit out of the ordinary. But surely murder itself is rather out of the ordinary. It's not an easy case to understand, Mr. Entwistle. Someone must have been watching the cottage pretty closely yesterday afternoon. Miss Gilchrist, that's the woman who was Mrs. Lanconet's companion, left the house shortly after two o'clock to go into Reading to change some library books. Once she was safely out of the way on the bus, the murderer took a hatchet that was lying in the woodshed, smashed the kitchen window with it, went upstairs and made a savage attack on Mrs. Lanconet. 
Seven or eight blows were struck. How perfectly dreadful. It was a pretty brutal crime. The intruder scooped up a few trinkets from the dressing table. They can't have been worth more than a tenner at most and cleared off. Mrs. Lankenay was in bed? Yes. It seems that she had got back late the night before, exhausted but very excited. She'd come into some legacy, I understand. Yes, that is so. Apparently, she slept very badly and woke up with a terrible headache. By lunchtime, she felt no better and went back to bed and took a couple of sleeping pills. According to the medical evidence, she was lying on her side, sleeping peacefully when she was attacked. It all seems completely senseless. Particularly when the things that were stolen were found stuffed under a bush in the garden. You mean that the theft might have been only a blind? No, that's what it looks like. Of course, the Gilchrist woman may have done it. Two women living alone, you never know what jealousies or resentments may be lurking under the surface. But it doesn't seem very likely. From all accounts, they were on very good terms. I can't see that anybody would have had very much to gain by Mrs. Larkin's death. The cottage she lived in was rented and the furniture wasn't up to much. A lot of rather amateurish-looking pictures, a few ornaments, and that seems to be it. That's why I was curious to hear about the legacy. I wouldn't say there was anything there that might constitute a motive for murder. She was to receive interest on a capital sum, but she had no power to dispose of the capital itself, and now that she's dead, it'll be divided among the other beneficiaries. Nothing there to cause anyone to come along and hack her to death with a hatchet. Looks as though it must have been somebody with a screw loose. So were the police able to establish a time for Mrs. Lonkinay's death? Miss Gilchrist found the body at about five o'clock, after she'd got back from Reading. The doctor puts the time of death somewhere between two and four-thirty. So, working on the theory of cause and effect, we need to know what the people who were present at the reading of the will were doing at that time. Yes, the thought had occurred to me. Uh Aha, and you have already done something, perhaps. (laughs) A little. But it was more out of desire to eliminate the members of the family from the crime, if possible. I can't really believe that people whom I have known for years... Oh, my friend, because you have known them for years does not mean that one of them might not be a murderer. Tell me, what did you find out? I thought I'd begin with George Crossfield. After all, I've never entirely trusted him. Then it really was Aunt Cora. I read about it in the papers, just couldn't believe it. Sounds just like that business last year on Dartmoor. I don't think I heard about that. Lonely cottage, two elderly women living together, murdered for a quite pitiful sum of cash. The value of money is always relative. It's the need that counts. Oh, you're right, of course. I'd say any money came in useful these days. Everyone's hard up. Yes, that's true enough. It will be a little while before your uncle's estate is settled. Would it be convenient for you to have an advance? As it happens, I was going to raise the subject. I had a word with the bank this morning and referred them to you. They were quite obliging about an overdraft. To tell the truth, I've been taking a bit of a risk with some of my investments lately, and it's rather cleaned me out. I tried to reach you the day after the funeral, but I suppose you weren't in the office. You? No one ever told me. As a matter of fact, I thought I was entitled to a day off after the news about Uncle Richard's will. I went to Hurst Park, backed a couple of winners. (laughs) Really? What were they? Gaymark and Frog the Second. Only a matter of 50 quid, but every little helps. And now there will be an additional share coming to you as a result of your Aunt Cora's death. Poor old girl. Does seem rather bad luck, just when she was all set to enjoy herself. 
Gaymark and Frog the Second. They were both heavily tipped on the day in question. Uh, Gaymark won easily. Frog the Second failed even to get a place. <laughs> you would make a good detective, mon ami. Do you know whether George Crossfield had any pressing need for money at the time of his uncle's death? I suspect that he'd been speculating with his client's funds and was in danger of prosecution. Well, it, it's only an impression, of course, but I would not have entrusted any funds of mine to George. And I have to say that Richard Abernethy plays no reliance on him. He had hoped that George might take over the firm and was bitterly disappointed. So, Mr. Crossfield is still definitely in the running. Who did you attempt to eliminate next? Rosamund Shane. Oh, yes, the actress. And did you discover anything of interest? I'm afraid everything's in rather a state. We had one hell of a party last night. To tell you the truth, Mr. Entwistle, I think we've still got a bit of a hangover. Why don't we open another bottle of champagne, darling? <laughs> it might help us to pull ourselves together, and I'm sure Mr. Entwistle will join us in a toast to the future. Oh, thank you, but I think it's a little early in the day for me. It really is the most marvellous luck for us. There's this play that Michael has an option on. There's the most fabulous part for him in it, and there's even something for me. I'm sure that Mr. Entwistle isn't the least bit interested, Rosamond. Why don't you shut up and let him tell us what he's here for? Oh, there are one or two little matters to sort out. I've just come back from Lichard St. Mary. Poor Aunt Cora. <laughs> what a perfectly hideous thing to happen. They wouldn't believe me last night when I told them the hatchet murder in the papers was actually my aunt. Oh, two murders, one after the other. It's too much, isn't it? Don't be a fool, Rosamond. Your uncle wasn't murdered. Well, Cora thought he was. You came back to London after the funeral, didn't you? Yes, we came back on the same train as you. Of course. I was asking because I tried to get hold of you the next day. I tried several times, in fact, but couldn't get an answer. Oh, dear. I'm sorry. What were we doing that day? I had lunch with Oscar. And I went to the shops to see if I could get hold of some nylons. I was out all afternoon. We met up in the evening and had dinner at the Castile. Why did you want to get hold of us, Mr. Entwistle? Oh, only a few points arising out of the Abernethy estate. Do we get the money now or have to wait for years? I'm afraid that the law is rather prone to delays. But we can get an advance, can't we? You see, it's terribly important for Michael. There's no real hurry. It's just a question of deciding whether to take up the option. Well, there'll be no difficulty in advancing you money as much as you need. <sighs> then that's all right. Did Aunt Cora leave any money? A little. She bequeathed it to your cousin Susan. Did she? Is it much? A few hundred pounds and some furniture. Nice furniture? No. It's all very odd, isn't it? I mean, there was Cora after the funeral, suddenly coming out with, he was murdered. And then the very next day, she gets murdered herself. I mean, it's definitely odd, isn't it? Nothing much in the way of alibis there. And difficult to investigate without drawing attention to what one was doing. Oh, I don't see Rosamond smashing Cora's head in with a hatchet. She's just a lovely nitwit. And her husband? Oh, I really know very little about him, but I would hesitate to rule him out. And what about the other niece, Susan, Cora's beneficiary? Oh, she's the one who should really have taken over the business. She's full of drive and vigour. It's definitely got to be a certain type of person, a brutish, half-witted type. I mean, who could possibly want to kill Cora? As far as one can see, the only person who had a motive was you, Susan. What's that? What's Susan got to do with it? Oh, do shut up, Greg. 
Mr. Entwistle doesn't mean anything. Just my little joke, and not in the best of taste, I'm afraid. Cora left her estate, such as it was, to you, Susan. But it can hardly be said to be a reason for killing her. But she didn't even know me. What made her do that? I think she'd heard there'd been a little difficulty with the family over your marriage, and since she had experienced something of the kind herself, I, I imagine there was an amount of fellow feeling. She married an artist, didn't she, whom Uncle Richard didn't like much. Was he a good painter? To judge from the pictures on the walls of the cottage, I would say very definitely not. Well, I should be able to judge for myself when I get down there. Is there anyone in the place now? I've arranged for Miss Gilchrist to remain there until further notice. She must have pretty strong nerves to stay on in a place where a murder has been committed. I don't think the poor woman has anywhere else to go until she finds another situation. Oh, by the way, I rang you on the day after the funeral uh, to see if you might need an advance on the money due to you, but I could get no answer. That's very odd. We were in all day, weren't we, Greg? You know, Susan, I think our telephone might have been out of order that day. You remember, I was trying to ring the estate agents all afternoon and I couldn't get them. I meant to report it, but uh, it was all right in the morning. How did Aunt Cora come to hear about our marriage? It was a registry office affair and we didn't announce it in the papers or anything. I fancy your Uncle Richard may have told her about it. She remade her will just after he'd been down to see her. I had no idea he'd paid her a visit. I didn't know of it myself until Miss Gilchrist told me. So that must have been when... When what, Susan? Oh, nothing. <laughs> it's of no importance. What is he like, this husband of hers? I can't quite make him out. He has a somewhat unpleasant personality. But she loves him? Devotedly, I should say. <laughs> but really, Poirot, I can't believe for one moment that Susan... Which leaves us with only one other person in the field. Mrs. Timothy Abernethy. Mode, is it not? Yes. I caught the train up to Yorkshire after I'd left Susan. Maud picked me up at the local station, but was having some trouble getting the car started. Oh, this old brute's been playing me up a lot lately. He did it the day after the funeral. I'd stayed the night with Helen at Enderby Hall. And when I tried to start it the following morning, it gave up the ghost completely. I, I had to walk a couple of miles to the nearest garage. They weren't up to much. They took so long, I had to stay the night at the local inn while they carried on tinkering with it. Well, of course, that upset Timothy, too. I, I had to phone him to tell him that I wouldn't be back till the following day. Two nights away from home. It fussed him dreadfully. I can believe it. Mind you... I have to admit, Richard's money couldn't have come at a better time. We'll be able to do something about the house at last. A, a, a blessing in disguise, really. Though I should warn you that Timothy isn't at all happy about the will. It hurt me, Entwistle. It really wounded me. I had assumed quite naturally that Richard would leave everything to me. Did he ever indicate that to you? Well, not in so many words, no. But he asked himself up here wanted to talk over family affairs generally. We discussed George and the girls and their frightful husbands. He wanted to know my views, and naturally I thought he was consulting me as the future head of the family after he'd gone. I thought that the control of the money would be mine. Richard could surely have trusted me to do the right thing by the rest of the family. Damn it all, I'm an Abernethy. The last Abernethy. If you ask me, it was just spite on Richard's part. Blasted cats! Stop it! Get out of here! Get out! 
ruin the flower beds with their filthy mess. I can't stand their yowling. You care for a drink, Edwards? Oh, not quite so soon. Maud gave me an excellent tea. Very capable woman, Maud. But she does too much. Even has to muck about with the engine of that old car of hers. She's quite a mechanic in her way, you know. I gather she had a breakdown on her way back from the funeral. Yes, car conked out. She had the good sense to phone through about it in case I should be anxious, but that, that idiot of a daily woman of ours wrote down the message in a way that didn't make sense. I was out of the house getting a bit of fresh air. I'm advised by the doctor to get what exercise I can if I feel like it. I got back from my walk to find a note scrawled on a piece of paper, Madam, sorry, car gone wrong, got to stay night. Well, naturally, I thought she was still at Enderby, Richard's place. Put a call through and found that Maud had left that morning. Might have had that breakdown anywhere. Most distressing for you. The stupid daily only left me lumpy macaroni cheese for supper. Macaroni cheese, I ask you. I had to go down to the kitchen and warm it up myself. And make myself a cup of tea to say nothing of stoking the boiler. Very inconsiderate. I might have had a heart attack. But does that class of woman care? Not she. With any decent feeling, she'd have come back that evening and looked after me properly. No loyalty any more in the lower classes. I don't know how much Maud told you about the funeral. Cora produced a most embarrassing moment. Hmm? Said brightly that Richard had been murdered. Perhaps Maud told you. <laughs> oh, yes, I heard all about that. Everybody looked down their noses and pretended to be shocked. Just the sort of thing that Cora would say. She always managed to put her foot in it when she was a girl. Said something at our wedding that upset Maud, I remember. Maud never cared for her very much. I, I think, dear, that Mr. Entwistle has been with you long enough. <sighs> you get so excited and it's terribly tiring for you. You <laughs> need to rest and put your feet up. So, if you've finished your business, Mr. Entwistle... No, yes, we've settled everything. Uh, will you be attending the inquest, Timothy? Uh, what inquest? On your sister, Cora. Out of the question. I had palpitations for twenty minutes when I heard about the murder. I want to forget the whole thing. Uh, what happened to Cora's share of the money, by the way, comes to me, I suppose? <laughs> well... When I told him it would be divided among the beneficiaries, he had to go and lie down for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, tell me, is he really such an invalid? Oh, his doctor seems to think so, but he probably does pretty well out of Timothy's ailments. If you ask me, he's probably as healthy as you or I. So, his wife Maud had ample opportunity to dispose of Cora while the car was being repaired, and Mr. Abernethy is not the invalid he likes to think himself. He is also, I gather, something of an egomaniac who resented his brother's success. Now, what of the sixth beneficiary? Uh, Helen, uh, Leo's widow. Uh, I do not suspect her for a moment. In any case, she was staying at Enderby. Ah. Eh bien, my friend, let us be practical. What do you want me to do? I want to know the truth, Poirot. Yes, I should feel the same in your case. And I admit that the problem interests me because it is so nebulous. I will occupy myself of everything. I think that you might perhaps prepare Helen Abernethy that I may arrive at the house. I'll telephone her first thing in the morning. Now tell me, 
Is Cora's companion... Uh, uh, Miss Gilchrist? Uh, yes, yes. Is she still staying in the cottage? Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Has it occurred to you that she may be in danger? I can't say that it has. Oh, but yes. Cora voiced her suspicions on the day of the funeral, and she was silenced. The question in the murderer's mind would be, did she voice them when she first heard of her brother's death? And the most likely person for her to have spoken to about them is Miss Gilchrist. I think, mon cher, that she had better not remain alone in that cottage. Longany's niece, Susan Banks. Oh, dear, yes, of course. Oh, do come in, Mrs. Banks. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know you were coming down for the inquest. I'd have had something ready, some coffee or something. Oh, I don't want anything, thanks. I'm sorry I startled you. <laughs> it's very silly of me. I'm not usually nervous. Perhaps it's just the prospect of the inquest and thinking about it all. I've been very jumpy all morning. The bell rang only half an hour ago, and I could hardly bring myself to answer it. And it was only a nun collecting for the local orphanage. I was so relieved I gave her two shillings, and I'm not even a Roman Catholic. <laughs> but do please sit down. Thank you. You probably know that Aunt Cora left what she had to me. Mr. Entwistle wrote to tell me. I expect you'll be glad of the furniture. You're newly married, I understand. Mrs. Lanquinet had such very nice things. Oh, I shan't want any of the furniture. I've got my own. I should put it up for auction. Unless, that is, there is any of it you'd like. Oh, that really is very kind of you, Mrs. Banks. But I do have my own things. I put them in store. I, I had a small tea shop at one time. The willow tree. <laughs> and then the war came and... Oh, it was all very unfortunate. But if you really wouldn't mind, I would like to have that pretty little painted table of Mrs. Lanquinet's. We used to have tea on it every day. Of course. I'd be delighted for you to have it. Oh, I feel a little greedy. I've already got an amethyst brooch she left me and all her lovely pictures. Pictures? Yeah, the ones in here. Oh, oh, no, no, these were painted by Mrs. Lanquinet's husband. They're terrible. Well, I, I don't much care for that style of painting myself. Except for that one. It can't be his. Oh, no. No, that's a picture Mrs. Lanquinet found in a second-hand shop. It was one of her little hobbies, buying pictures at auctions and from junk shops. She thought that one might be C&E's. She was going to get an art critic's opinion on it. It doesn't look very remarkable. Oh, no. She never had much luck at that kind of thing. But do come and look at the pictures she painted. They're in my bedroom. She seems to have been very fond of coastal resorts. Yes. Well, you see, she lived for many years with her husband in a fishing village in Brittany. I think that's what gave her an eye for that kind of thing. They all look rather like picture postcards. Oh, no. Mrs. Lanquinet always painted from nature. Oh, she was a real artist, just like my dear father. 
Look at the way she captured the light over the sea on, on that picture of Babacombe. Mm. Uh, don't you think it's time we set off for the inquest? Oh, is it that late? Oh, yes, we'd better go straight away. I attended the inquest myself. Incognito, of course. There were very few people there, and the proceedings were not sensational. Miss Gilchrist nervously gave her evidence about finding the body, and a verdict was brought in without much difficulty of murder by some person or persons unknown. Looks as though the postman called while we were out. There's a package of some sort. It can only be one thing, this size and shape. Yes, I was quite right. Oh, it's a piece of wedding cake. Oh, how nice. John and Mary. Now, who can that be? It might be Dorothy's daughter. But I didn't hear of an engagement. Still less of a marriage. Oh, well, I dare say it will come to me. Now, would you like a piece, Mrs. Banks? No, thank you. Hmm. Oh, it's really quite nice. Did my Uncle Richard come down here before he died? Yes, he did. It must have been about three weeks before we read about his death in the paper. Did he seem ill? No. No, he looked extremely vigorous. Mrs. Longquinet was most surprised to see him. How long was he here? Oh, he stayed for lunch. Beef olives I made for them. I didn't speak to him much. But naturally, I left them alone together. You didn't hear any of their conversation? It has never been my custom to listen to doors, Mrs. Beggs. Oh, I'm so sorry, Miss Gilchrist. I didn't mean it that way. But sometimes, in these flimsily built houses, one simply can't help overhearing nearly everything that goes on. And now that they're both dead, it's really rather important to the family to know just what was said when they met. I'm afraid that I really cannot help very much. I think they were talking about Mr. Abernethy's health and certain, well, fancies that he had about his illness being caused by outside agencies. You mean he suspected the servants of poisoning him? I don't know. I really can't... It wasn't the servants. Was it one particular person? I don't know, Mrs. Banks. I didn't hear enough to know exactly what he meant. I see. What are your own plans for the future, Miss Gilchrist? Oh, well, I was really going to speak to you about that. I told Mr. Entwistle that I would be willing to stay on until everything here was cleared up. And I wanted to ask you how long that was likely to be. Oh, I should imagine I can get everything here sorted out in a couple of days. Then I'll be in touch with the auctioneer. I was wondering whether I could stay in the cottage. You mean tonight? Oh, of course, Mrs. Banks. I mean, everything here is your property, after all. And do you have anywhere to go to? Well, no, not exactly. I suppose I should start looking for a new situation. I wanted to tell you, I hope you'll accept three months' salary. Oh. And I might just be able to help you find a new position. I was having a word with Mr. Entwistle after the inquest, and he was telling me that Maud, that's Mrs. Timothy Abernethy, has fallen downstairs and broken her ankle. Timothy's quite helpless without her, and they're looking for someone who could cook his meals for him and do a little light work about the house. I was wondering if you might consider it. Oh, yes, I would. I think I can say that I am really very good in the sick room. 
Would I be able to take any of my little things with me? I'm sure you would. It's a vast house. I'll give him a ring now. And while you're doing that, I'll just go and put fresh sheets on my bed. I can doss down quite comfortably in here on the sofa. But why can't I sleep in Aunt Cora's room? You mean you wouldn't mind? Because she was murdered there. Oh no, that wouldn't worry me in the least. I'm not the imaginative type, Miss Gilchrist. I never realised what a sinister place the country can be at night. You listen out for every slightest sound, and the house creaks like a ship at sea. Oh. Oh, I suppose that must be an owl. It's easy to see how people come to think that houses are haunted, particularly when something dreadful has happened in them. What was that? It's Miss Gilchrist. What on earth's the matter with her? <laughs> I'll get you some bicarbonate, and then we'll see how you are in the morning. No, no! Oh, get him now! I feel dreadful. Oh, ring him now! Just dial eight one one. Oh, please, please, be quick. Four three six, Inspector Morton. Oh yes, Doctor. What can I do for you? She what? Yes, yes, of course. Could I just have that name again? Gilchrist? And the name of the lady who's staying on there? Mrs. Susan Banks? Right. Well, thank you very much, Doctor. Whatever else there may have been to say about Aunt Cora, she's not the tidiest of human beings. Old handkerchiefs, paintbrushes, woolen jumpers. Sketchbooks, photograph albums. Oh, I suppose that must have been Cora when she was younger and a lot thinner. And the man with the straggly beard must be Pierre Longnet. Not a very attractive proposition. Here's a letter from Uncle Richard, by the looks of it. Huh? And what have you got hold of there, cousin Susan? George. God, you gave me a fright. So it seems. The door downstairs was open, so I walked in. What are you doing here, anyway? I rang you up, as a matter of fact, and Greg told me you'd come down to take possession, as it were. I thought I might give you a hand. Aren't you needed in the office? I don't think I shall be going there very much in the future. I shall have better things to do, same as Greg. Why did you really come down here? If you really want to know, I thought I might put in a little detective work. Try and find out whether Cora was just indulging in a bit of joie de vivre, or whether she really did have some reason to believe that Uncle Richard was murdered. What's the letter you were reading so attentively when I came in? It's from Uncle Richard to Cora, written after he'd been down here to see her. Take a look at it if you want to. Glad to have seen you after all these years. Had a good journey home and arrived back here not too tired. Please don't say anything to anyone about what I told you. It may be a mistake. 
What does he mean by that, I wonder? It might mean anything. He could be talking about his health. Or it could mean something much more significant. Does anyone have any idea what he said to Cora? Miss Gilchrist probably knows more than she cares to admit. She listened, I think. Did she now? And where is she at the moment? In hospital, suffering from arsenic poisoning. You're not serious? Couldn't be more so. Someone sent her some poisoned wedding cake. Is that so? Then it looks as if Uncle Richard was not mistaken. When the good Georges brought in the card of Inspector Morton of the Berkshire County Police, I was, for once in my life, completely baffled. What should I offer him to drink? Georges suggested beer. A horrible drink. But I could see that he was right. I noticed you were at the inquest, Mr. Poirot. Really? But how did you recognize me? Well, your appearance is rather unusual, sir, particularly in the country. Hmm. It is possible. But knowing you have an interest in the case, I'll come straight to the point. There's been an unfortunate development. Hmm? Miss Gilchrist was taken into hospital last night. She'd been poisoned. Arsenic, by the look of it. Oh, how did it happen? Well, the most likely cause was a piece of wedding cake. It came in a packet, slipped through the letterbox while they were away at the inquest. They? Who was with her? Mrs. Banks. Mrs. Banks. Yes, she was staying down there, apparently. Well, just as well, under the circumstances. I warned Mr. Entwistle to look after Miss Gilchrist. An attack on her was always a strong possibility. Oh, why was that, Mr. Warren? I will tell you. Drink your... Um, Beer, Inspector, oh, and you. I will tell you now what may, but only may, be the facts. It all began at a funeral, or, to be exact, after a funeral. There's nothing there for us, Mr. Poirot. With Richard Abernethy's body cremated, there's nothing to be proved either way. But there are the people, of course, the people who heard Cora Lonconay say what she did and thought she might possibly say it again, going into a little more detail. Exactly. And it is with them that I have been concerning myself, with the aid of my good friend, Mr. Gobi. Oh, Gobi? The inquiry agent? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I wish I had the benefit of an organization like his. All those university types with BBC accents going around telling people they're conducting a government survey. I will give you the benefit of his investigation. Ah. Now, let us begin with... Uh, George Crossfield. Ah. He has been making use of funds entrusted to him to finance his gambling, horses, little excursions to Monte Carlo, not to mention a number of uh, highly ornamental but excessively expensive women. Mm. On the day of the murder, he claimed to have been at the races at Hurst Park, but, in fact, he left Paddington Station for an unknown destination. It would not have been in the least difficult for him to get to Lichitz and Mary. I reckon he'd figure high on anyone's list of suspects. Now let us consider Michael Shane. What, the actor? Yes, my friend, the actor. His alibi was that he was in London having lunch with Mr. Oscar Law, but in fact he sent a telegram to say that he could not keep the appointment. At twelve o'clock he hired a car and did not return until the evening. So he could have gone anywhere? Mm-hmm. His wife, Rosamond, says she was out shopping. Just that. And there is no way of proving that she was not. 
Oh, what can you do with a woman like that? said the admirable Mr. Gooby, and I know all too well what he meant. <laughs> Never shall I forget the killing of Lord Edgware. I was nearly defeated. Yes, I, Hercule Poirot, was nearly defeated by the simple cunning of a vacant brain. Ah, the very simple-minded have often the genius to commit an uncomplicated crime and leave it alone. Oh, a little more um, beer, perhaps. Oh, thank you, Mr. Poirot. Susan and Gregory Banks say they were at home all day, but Mr. Gobi has established that she went off in her car at one o'clock and did not return until five. As for Mr. Banks, it seems that... He has a very curious record. When he was working in a dispensary, he gave a woman the wrong dose, as a result of which he had to be rushed off to hospital. Oh. She recovered, but he resigned his job out of guilt. He told his doctor that the woman had been rude to him when she came into the shop, and he had deliberately made up a near-lethal prescription. Oh. He said that the woman had to be punished for being rude to him. How on earth did Gobi get all of that? Oh, I fancy he has his methods. As for our other suspects, Mr. Entwistle has already established that it would have been perfectly possible for both Timothy Abernethy and his wife to have got to Lichard St. Mary, since he was left alone in the house for over 24 hours, and she went for a very long walk in the country while the local garage tried to trace what had gone wrong with her car. A mysterious fault, which she herself may well have contrived. So, where do we go from here? Oh, more to the point, where do you go, Mr. Poirot? To the Abernethy family home, Enderby Hall. Mm -hmm. As I'm sure you understand, I want very much to question these people myself. But I have no authority for doing so. I shall have to resort to a little camouflage. <laughs> I shall pretend to be looking for a large country mansion as a domicile for foreign refugees. I shall present myself as Monsieur Pontalier of Unarco. <laughs> What's that one is at home? The United Nations Aid for Refugee Centers Organization. <laughs> he sounds well, do you not think? Yeah. Well, it ought to do the trick. And is there anyone at Enderby Hall who will know your real identity? Just one person. The only one who appears to be above suspicion. Helen Abernethy. Ah, Monsieur Poirot. I hope you haven't been looking for me. I came out here to cut a few late roses for the drawing room. Oh, they are very beautiful. Ah. There's something that's been worrying me. Hmm? About the moment when Cora said that Richard had been murdered. Something I felt at the time to have been wrong. Wrong? In what way, madame? That's just the trouble. I, I don't know. Do you mean something wrong about one of the people in the room? Yes, something of the kind. But I can't remember who or what it was. It was perhaps the reacting of some particular person to the word murder? Perhaps. But I don't remember noticing anyone in particular. We were all staring at Cora. Shall we go in? Mm -hmm. 
I'd like to put the roses in a bowl before we settle down to lunch. You arrange flowers admirably, madame. Thank you, Monsieur Poirot. I'm very fond of flowers. During the time you were staying here with Mr. Abernethy, did he ever say anything about any member of his family that might be relevant? You're speaking like a policeman. <laughs> I was a policeman once. I have no status here, no right to question you. But surely we are both hoping to find the truth. <sighs> Richard was disappointed in the younger generation. Old men usually are. He disparaged them in various ways, but there was nothing that could possibly suggest a motive for murder. I think this bowl might look well in the green malachite table. Could you hold it for a moment while I lift the glass shade off? Oh, of course, madame. Did anyone tell Mr. Abernethy that his niece Susan's husband had come near to poisoning a customer? Oh, oh, oh how very careless of me. It just slipped through my fingers. Oh, no, 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 please leave it, Monsieur Poirot. I'll get the maid to clear it up. We don't want you cutting your fingers. But perhaps we should move the table out of the way until we can get a new shade made for it. Will you help me carry it out to the cupboard under the stairs? Certainly, madame. Thank you, Monsieur Poirot. Now, what was it you were asking me? I've quite forgotten. Oh, there is no need to repeat the question. It was of no importance. Is there anyone whose life would bear close investigation? Must people's private lives be dragged into this? I fear that there is nothing that can be ignored, madame. In this case, it is not evidence I am searching for, but people. Tell me, madame, of those there, who knew Cora best? Well, I suppose I did. Maud hardly knew her at all. Then, taking you as the person who knew her best, why do you think she spoke as she did? It was very characteristic of her. Oh, what I mean is, was it a betise, pure and simple? Did she just blurt out what was in her mind without thinking? Or was she being malicious, amusing herself by upsetting everyone? You can't ever be quite sure about a person, can you? I've never known whether Cora was simply ingenuous or whether she counted childishly on just making an effect. Mrs. Timothy Abernethy stayed here the night after the funeral, I believe? Yes, she did. Did she talk to you about what Cora had said? Yes. She said it was outrageous and just like her. Did she take it seriously? Oh, no. No, I'm sure she didn't. And you, madame, did you take it seriously? Yes, Monsieur Poirot, I think I did. Because of your feeling that something was wrong? Perhaps. I want to talk to all those who were present in the room after the funeral when Cora said what she did. It is important that I should meet every single one of them. Now, it would be a great convenience and it would be strategically satisfactory if I could meet them here. Surely that would be very difficult to arrange. Already I have devised a means. The house it is sold. Also, Mr. Entwistle will declare. He will invite the various members of the family to assemble here and to choose what they will from the furnishings before it is all put up to auction. A suitable weekend can be selected for that purpose. Are you laying a trap for someone, Monsieur Poirot? Ah, alas, madame, I wish I knew enough to do that. No, I have still the open mind. But there is one thing that is doubtful. 
it may not be possible to secure the presence here of Mr. Timothy Abernethy. I am told that he never leaves home. Oh, I think you may be lucky there. Huh? I heard from Maud yesterday that workmen are in painting the house. Timothy is making a terrible fuss about the paint affecting his health. And I think that he and Maud would be only too happy to come here, perhaps for a week or so, while Maud's ankle gets better. Maud's ankle? What is the matter with it? She's broken it. Luckily, they've taken on Cora's companion, Miss Gilchrist. How did that happen? Who suggested it? Well, I think Susan fixed it up. Susan Banks. Ah, so it was the little Susan. She is fond of making the arrangements. <laughs> anyway, Miss Gilchrist will be able to stay and look after the house while Timothy and Maud come here. I can't do it. I simply can't. Not here, all alone in the house. I know you'll think it foolish, but I'd be terrified to be here by myself. Oh, of course. I understand. After all that happened at Lichard St. Mary. I didn't feel it at first. It's only come over me since I came here. This morning, a nun came to the door collecting for the convent of the Blessed Virgin, and I remembered that a nun had called at the cottage just before... Oh, dear. Oh, dear, I am in a bad way. I suppose it's what they call delayed shock. Oh. Well, if we can't find any other solution, you'll just have to come to Enderby Hall with us. Should we go? Oh, yes. Don't you think so? It might be as well, I suppose. Of course, all the stuff in the house is quite hideous. But there might just be some jewellery. Right, then. Time I was off. I must go and have a word with Rosenheim. Oh, and I shall be rather late this evening. I'm dining with Oscar to discuss the American offer. Darling Oscar, he'll be so pleased to see you after all this time. Do give him my love. What do you mean, all this time? We had lunch together last week. Oh, how funny. He rang up yesterday and said it was months since he'd seen you last. He must have gone off his head. You think I'm a fool, don't you? Look, I don't know what you're driving. It's rather silly telling me a pack of lies. You never went to see Oscar. And what about you? You said you were going shopping with Jane. You couldn't have done. She's been in America for weeks. Yes, that was stupid of me. I just went for a walk around Regent's Park. You've never been for a walk in Regent's Park in your life. What's it all about? You've been so different lately. I've just been thinking about things. I was wondering whether I should go down to Litchett St Mary and have a word with that companion of Aunt Cora's. I want to know what was said when Uncle Richard went down there. Well, he'd hardly discuss his feelings about the family with an outsider. Of course he wouldn't. She'd have heard through the door. Rosamond, who do you think killed Cora and your Uncle Richard? Darling, don't be absurd. You know as well as I do, but it's much better never to mention it. From my chair by the fireplace, in a corner of the library, I, or rather... Monsieur Pontalier of Ionarco observed the Abernethy family. None of them had been able to resist the temptation to come down and carry off the spoils from Enderby Hall. I don't suppose I have long to live, but for sentiment's sake I should like to have the old dinner service. I am afraid that may be rather difficult. You see... You're too late, Uncle. I asked Helen to mark it off to me this morning. Mark it off? Well, what good is it to you? You're not even married. Which of them, I asked myself, was a potential murderer? As a matter of fact, I collect Swode. 
and it is an excellent example. George might kill, as a cornered rat kills. I don't see what all the fuss is about. It's quite hideous anyway. Susan might do so, calmly and efficiently, to further a plan. If Richard had made a proper will, the disposal of the estate would have been left solely in my hands. Timothy might have done it because he hated and resented his brother. But he didn't. Hold your tongue, Susan. Don't you talk like that to my wife. Gregory, because he had a morbid streak that craved punishment. You mustn't excite yourself, Timothy. I'll get you a sedative, and then you can go to bed. And Maud, because Timothy was her child. And where her child was concerned, she would be ruthless. Anyway, I want the Malachite table. Rosamond might kill because she was so frighteningly simple in outlook. Oh, no, I want that. Here we go again. It's just like the voice of the inheritance. And Michael because he had a murderous cocksure vanity. There are so many wonderful things in the house. The Malachite table is particularly lovely. I've never seen anything quite like it. Even Miss Gilchrist might have contemplated murder if she had thought it would give back to her the willow tea room. But of course, it's of no concern of mine. And Miss Gilchrist, realizing that she had gone a little too far by intruding into the Abernethy family circle, retired to her room. She's such a pathetic old pussy, clinging to those bits and pieces that remind her of Cora, the amethyst brooch and the little table, and those frightful seascapes. Everyone painted from life, she told me. But Cora cheated. She copied them from postcards. How do you know that? One of them is of Paul Flex and Harbour and shows the lighthouse and the pier. Since the pier was blown up while she was still living in Brittany, she can't have painted that one from life. I even found the postcard in a drawer. Poor Miss Gilchrist. Well, poor or not, she's been a little treasure to us. Always ready to run upstairs four or five times a day. She cooks well, I'll admit that. Pity she lost her nerve. Lost her nerve? Wouldn't be left alone in the house. She said she was frightened when a nun came calling at the door. Where, I asked myself, had I heard about a nun before? But there are no shortcuts to the truth. I had to observe and to listen, to talk to the family about Unarco and my work with refugees. Oh, refugees all over again. If I appeared not to know much English and not always to understand what was said to me, it only made the members of the family more at ease in my presence. Little by little, the facts were falling into place. The rest was up to the little grey cells. It's all rot, isn't it, Mr. Pontalier? You've got nothing to do with you narco or refugees or any of that, have you? It was the following evening. Once again, everyone was gathered in the library, and I had announced my departure for nine o'clock the next morning. You've come here to spy on us, haven't you? You're a detective. You have great perspicacity, madame. Not really. You were pointed out to me once in a restaurant. But why have you not mentioned it until now, madame? I thought it'd be more fun not to. But <laughs> this is disgraceful. Is it true? Yes, it is true. I am a detective. Who sent you here? I was commissioned to inquire into the circumstances of Richard Abernethy's death. By who? For the moment, that does not concern you. 
But it would be an advantage, would it not, if you could be assured beyond any possible doubt that Richard Abernethy died a natural death? Of course he died a natural death. Who says anything else? Cora Lankany said so. And now she herself is dead. She said it here, in this room. But I didn't really didn't think... Didn't you, Susan? It's no good pretending. He won't take Monsieur Pontarlier in. His name isn't Pontarlier. It's Hercules something. Hercule Poirot. At your service. God. May I ask what conclusions you have come to? He won't tell you, darling. Or if he does, what he says won't be true. That night I did not sleep well. I was perturbed, and yet I did not know why I was perturbed. Snatches of conversation kept on going through my mind. Cora cheated. She copied them from postcards. She was frightened when a nun came calling at the door. I want the Malachite table. Oh, no, I want that. And something that Helen Abernethy has said about the moment when Cora spoke of her uncle's murder. But what was it? Kensington 5498. Is that Mr. Entwistle? Yes, what is it? This is Helen Abernethy. Helen, it, it's seven o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry and I... to have got you out of bed, but you did tell me to ring you at once if I remembered what it was that was wrong when Cora said that Richard had been murdered. You mean you've remembered? Yes, but it doesn't make sense. It came to me when I was looking at myself in the mirror last night. You see, I... Helen? Helen? What, what's the matter? Helen, are you there? And that was all she said? That she was looking in the mirror? Yes, that was all. Then for the rest we shall have to wait until she regains consciousness. And that may not be for a long time. Is it as bad as that? Yes, it is. A serious concussion. It is just possible that she fell and hit her head on a marble doorstop. But I suspect that she was struck by somebody. For that reason... I have instructed that she should be taken to a nursing home. And it is for that reason also that I am telephoning you from the local post office. However, there is something you must do for me. I want you to go up to Stansfield Grange. Timothy's house? But they're both at Enderby. Exactly. There is no one there except for a woman who is looking after the property in their absence. What I want you to do is to take something out of the house. Really, Poirot? I can't stoop to burglary. Oh, no, 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 no. It will not seem like burglary. You must tell the woman there that you have been asked by Mr. Abernethy to fetch this particular object and take it to London. You're sure that this is really necessary, Poirot? It is vital. The whole of my investigation depends upon it. And what do you want me to do with it? You will take it to an address that I will give you. Now, listen carefully. And I will tell you exactly what it is that you have to look for. Oh, very well. But I hope you know what you're doing, Poirot. I expect Aunt Helen will be all right. After all, was concussion. Often clears up completely after a couple of days. What I can't make out is what she was doing telephoning at that unearthly hour. Well, she probably came down to ring the doctor. Had a giddy fit and fell. I don't believe a word of it. She was coshed. She must have been. I mean, it all adds up. 
Uncle Richard poisoned, Aunt Cora killed with a hatchet, Miss Gilchrist given arsenic, and Helen struck down with a blunt instrument. And it will go on like that until the only one that's left will be it, the murderer. And why should anyone want to kill the fair Rosamond? Because I know too much. <clears throat> I've been asked to summon you all to the library. Our tame detective has convened an informal meeting. Last night, Mrs. Shane announced to you all that I was a private detective. For myself, I had hoped to retain my camouflage for a little longer. But no matter. I am, in my own life, quite a celebrated person. Are you really? Funny that I've never even heard of you. It is not funny. It is lamentable. However, since you asked me last night who had called me in, I will tell you. It was Mr. Entwistle. Interfering busybody. He had no right to do anything of the kind. He wished me to find out whether there were any suspicious circumstances surrounding the death of Richard Abernethy. And I can tell you categorically that I have found none. There is no reason to believe that he died anything but a natural death. I have done what I was asked to do, and I shall be departing by the twelve o'clock train. You can't just leave it all like this. What about Aunt Cora? And who sent the poisoned wedding cake to Miss Gilchrist? And who coshed Helen? Until the time comes for my train to depart, I shall be in the little summer house, should any of you have anything you may wish to impart to me. That is all. I was told I should find you here, Mr. Poirot. Good morning, Inspector. I gather that you've managed to assemble your full cast of suspects. Yes, that is so. And the result is that Helen Abernethy gets knocked over. Uh, you must not blame me for that. If she had come to me instead of ringing Mr. Entwistle... She was in the process of spilling the beans to him when... Wonk. When, as you say, wonk. Any idea what she managed to tell him? Very little. Only that she had looked at herself in the mirror. But I think I now know what she was going to say. And what was that? Uh-huh, Inspector. It is not yet the time. For the past hour, I have been sitting in the summer house, waiting for someone to confide in me. But the results have been, uh, oh, how shall I say, a little variable. First there was Miss Gilchrist, who wanted to tell me what she heard Richard Abernethy saying to Cora when he called at the cottage. I couldn't quite hear what Mrs. Longquinet said, but I did catch the word police. And then Mr. Abernethy burst out quite loud and said, I can't do that, not when it's a question of my own niece. Huh? And then I had to run into the kitchen because something was boiling over. Very curious. What exactly did she mean by that, I wonder? And the moment she had left... Gregory Banks burst in. You're wrong about everything, Poirot. Richard Abernethy didn't die a natural death. I killed him. Huh? Why did you do that, Mr. Banks? He was a snob. Filthy snob. He thought nothing of me. He sneered at me. People can't treat me like that and get away with it. But why come and confess this to me? Because you said he hadn't been murdered. I had to show you you're not as clever as you think you are. And besides, I must be punished. Don't you see? And then? Then he saw his wife coming, 
and told me to tell her that he had gone to the police station. He wasn't even near the place when Uncle Richard died. Hmm, I know a little of his history. He was for some months in a mental home before you met him. He was never certified. He was a voluntary patient. Craig has never had a chance. Oh, that's why I wanted Uncle Richard's money so badly. I knew Greg had to set up for himself, to know that he was someone. Perhaps you love him too much for safety or for happiness, madame. You wanted your uncle's money, not for yourself, but for your husband. How badly did you want it? There are quite a few questions I'd like to put to that young lady. She's too clever by half. Did you have any other visitors? Only one. Michael Shane. I took the liberty of telling him you were not happy about his alibi. That's extremely awkward. I told Rosamond, you see, that I was lunching with Oscar Law that day. And uh, perhaps you were not? I motored down to see a woman called Sarah Dainton. Oh, the cinema actress? Yes. It's rather tricky. I mean, it's quite satisfactory as far as the police are concerned, but it won't go down very well with Rosamond. Miss Dainton would uh, testify for you? She won't like it. But as it's murder, I suppose she'll have to do so. Do you think he's telling the truth? How can one be certain? And even if she does say he was with her, what does that prove? An infatuated woman will say anything. Mm -hmm. There's something else I have to tell you. Mm -hmm. We've had a piece of very curious information from the Mother Superior of a convent near Lidget St. Mary. Two of her nuns had been out collecting from door to door. It seems they called at Cora Lankanay's cottage the day before she was murdered. The day Cora was here dishing the dirt about her brother, and Miss Gilchrist was visiting a relative in Bournemouth. Mm -hmm. And the nuns said they could hear sounds from the cottage, sighing and groaning. Ah, that is very interesting. And did the nuns go back at a later date to try again? Yes, as a matter of fact, they did. On the day of the inquest. The day that the poisoned wedding cake was left in the cottage. Oh, no, that's a ridiculous idea. My ideas are never ridiculous. But I have noticed one of my victims over there, by the waterfall. I think that I must have a word with her. But please, Inspector, do not go away. It will not be long now. I'll wait for you back at the house, Mr. Poirot. Too much of water hast thou, fair Ophelia. You are perhaps studying the whole? The only Shakespeare I've ever played was Jessica in The Merchant. And that was in rep. It's a lousy part anyway. I thought you were supposed to be catching the 12 o'clock train. I missed it. I have been sitting in the little summer house, hoping that you might perhaps pay me a visit. I had a lot to think about. Important things. I was trying to come to a decision. About your husband? In a way. The police officer leading the inquiry into Mrs. Lonconay's murder is here. He will be taking statements from all of you about what you were doing at the time of her death. 
That'll put Michael on the spot. He thinks I don't know he was with that woman. How did you find out? It's perfectly obvious. His nose always twitches when he tells a lie. Oh, how devoutly thankful I am that I am not married to you, madame. <laughs> and now he's discovered that I wasn't shopping that day and is madly suspicious about Regent's Park. What is all this about Regent's Park? I went there, you see. After Harley Street. Huh? Just to walk about and think. Naturally, Michael thinks I went there to meet some man. Mm. I think, madame, that you will keep your husband. But the poor Susan, she will lose hers. You're not trying to tell me that Greg's having an affair with someone. Oh, infidelity is not the only way of losing a husband. You mean that Greg poisoned Uncle Richard and hatched Aunt Cora and sloshed Helen on the head? <laughs> That's preposterous. Then who did, madame? George, of course. He's mixed up in some kind of currency racket. I had it from some friends of mine who were in Monty. I expect Uncle Richard got to hear of it and was just going to cut him out of his will. I've always known it was George. There's a telegram for you, Mr. Poirot. Arrived a few minutes ago. Oh, thank you. Ah, it is exactly as I suspected. See for yourself. Oh, I don't understand a word of it. The time has come to tell you all. <laughs> you sound like the heroine of a Victorian melodrama. If you would be so good as to assemble everyone in the library, Inspector. Going to enjoy your moment of triumph, eh? It can't come a moment too soon, as far as I'm concerned. That Gregory Banks is driving me out of my mind. He's confessed to killing Cora now. For the second time, I announce my departure. I intend to catch the 9.30 train immediately after dinner. I go because there is nothing more for me to do here. Could have told him that all along. Never was anything for him to do. I came here originally to solve a riddle. The riddle is solved. Let me first go over the various points which were brought to my attention by Mr. Entwistle. Why can't you just tell us here and now who did it? Why do we have to go through all this rigmarole? Because it is my way, Mr. Shane. First. Mr. Richard Abernethy dies suddenly. Secondly, after his funeral, his sister Cora says he was murdered, wasn't he? Thirdly, Cora herself is killed with a hatchet. And then, Miss Gilchrist, the dead woman's companion, is taken ill after eating a piece of wedding cake that contained arsenic. Let us for the moment concentrate on the last happening. I am inclined to accept the statement of the postman that, to the best of his knowledge, he did not deliver the package containing the wedding cake. Therefore, we must take into consideration those who were in a position to put it through the letterbox. There were Miss Gilchrist herself, Susan Banks, who was staying at the house, Mr. Entwistle, who was attending the inquest, and a mysterious nun. But surely there isn't any doubt about Miss Gilchrist being poisoned. She would hardly have done that to herself. And there is, of course, the consideration that she did not stand to benefit from Richard Abernethy's death, and only in a very minute degree from Cora's. Whereas I, on the other hand, 
Is that what you're going to say, Mr. Poirot? In your case, your motive would almost certainly have been security. You had very good reason to believe that Miss Gilchrist had overheard a conversation between your uncle and Cora which referred to you, and therefore you had a very good reason for getting rid of her. You also refused to eat any of the wedding cake which Miss Gilchrist offered to you. But I don't like wedding cake. Now, let us take a look at the mysterious nun. There was a nun who appeared at the time the wedding cake was delivered, a nun who appeared at the door of Timothy Abernethy's house, and a nun who called here the day before Richard Abernethy's death. Three to one, the nun. <sighs> but now I would like to introduce a little factor of the case which has not been mentioned before. A postcard of Paul Flexen Harbour. Oh, for goodness sake, the man's a mountebank. What's a picture postcard got to do with it? Everything, Mr. Abernethy, as you will see. It was what led me to the truth. Let us go back to the beginning. Oh, not again. There would have been no reason at all to suspect any foul play in the death of Richard Abernethy had it not been for the words uttered by his sister Cora after the funeral. You will believe that murder had taken place not so much because of what she said, but because Cora had always been notorious for speaking the truth at awkward moments. And that brings me to the question that I suddenly ask myself. How well did you all know Cora Lankane? What do you mean? The younger generation had never seen her at all, or not since they were children. The only people present that day who knew her at all were Mrs. Timothy Abernethy, who had seen her only very briefly at the time of her own wedding, and Mrs. Leo Abernethy, Aunt Helen, who had not seen her for over 20 years. Saying that Aunt Cora wasn't Aunt Cora? Do you mean that it was somebody else who was murdered? No, 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 no. It was Cora Lancanet who was murdered. But it was not Cora who came here the day before to her uncle's funeral. The woman who was here that day came for one purpose only to create in the minds of Richard's family the idea that he had been murdered. Absolute nonsense. What was the point of that? To draw attention away from the other murder, the murder of Cora Lancanet herself. The two deaths were bound to be considered as cause and effect. But if Cora's death were not related to her brothers, and if the attempt to make it look like a robbery were considered unconvincing by the police, then suspicion must inevitably fall on the woman with whom she shared her home. Oh, but surely, Mr. Pontalier, you're not suggesting that I would commit murder for an amethyst brooch and a few worthless pictures? No, Miss Gilchrist. For rather more than that. One of those worthless pictures, as Mrs. Banks discovered, had been copied from a postcard, but Mrs. Lancanet always painted from life. I don't see what you're driving at. What does it matter? Cora was in the habit of picking up pictures at sales and from junk shops that she believed might turn out to be old masters, supposing that for once in her life she really had chanced upon a masterpiece. And although Cora did not recognize it as such, Miss Gilchrist did. 
Her father, I have discovered, was an artist. She knew that Cora was in the habit of taking her little finds to a friend of hers who was an art critic of some standing, and she must act before the true value of the picture was discovered. Richard Abernethy dies unexpectedly, and the whole plan leaps into her mind. She had learned enough from her father to conceal the old master with a seascape she painted from an old postcard of Paul Flexen Harbour. I knew that had to be important. It was easy enough to administer a powerful sedative in Cora's early morning tea that would render her unconscious for the day of the funeral, although a nun, yet another nun, would hear her moaning restlessly in her bedroom. Miss Gilchrist then set out for Enderby to play Cora's part at the interment of Richard Abernethy and the reading of the will. <sighs> Without ever having set foot in it, you knew Enderby Hall very well, Miss Gilchrist. Cora had talked to you endlessly about her childhood here with her brothers and sisters and told you all about their children. None of the people at the funeral suspected for a moment that you were not Cora. You were dressed in her clothes, padded out a little, and since she always wore a false fringe of hair, it was easy for you to assume that. Nobody had seen her for twenty years. And in twenty years people change so much that one often hears the remark, oh, I would never have known her. But mannerisms are remembered. And Cora had very definite mannerisms, all of which you practiced carefully before the mirror. I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking and about. And it was there that you made your first mistake. You forgot that a mirror image is reversed. When you saw in the glass the perfect imitation of Cora's bird-like sideways tilt of the head, you did not realize that it was actually the wrong way round. So that was what Helen noticed when she said that the idea came to her as she was looking in her mirror. Exactly. That was why she said something was wrong. And that was why she was coshed on the head. I never did anything of the sort. <laughs> the whole thing is a wicked lie. I may as well tell you that Helen Abernethy's condition is not serious. She will soon be able to tell her own story. However... That was not your only mistake. When Rosamond and Susan began to quarrel about the Malachite table, you said that it was particularly lovely. But you could not have seen that table as Miss Gilchrist, because it had been put into a storeroom before the family assembled here this weekend. You could only have seen it as Cora Lancanay when you came here after the funeral. You know, Miss Gilchrist, the moment you arrived here, I knew that I'd seen you somewhere before. I ought to have realized that it was you who played Cora, but one never looks much. No, one doesn't bother to look at a mere companion help, a domestic drudge, almost a servant. Of course, the suggestion of Richard Abernethy's murder was only the first step. You pretended to have overheard a conversation between him and Cora so as to throw suspicion onto Susan Banks. A nun, who actually did call at the cottage, gave you the idea for a wild red herring of a nun who followed you everywhere. And as for the poisoned wedding cake, 
So long as prompt action was taken, you knew you were not in any real danger. No wonder she was so insistent that I should call the doctor. But what about the picture? What was it? I arranged for Mr. Entwistle to collect the painting of Paul Flexen Harbour from Miss Gilchrist's room at Stansfield Grange. That was a damned liberty. Oh, poor, 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 poor. The overpainting was removed by a leading firm of art restorers. This evening, I received a telegram. Definitely a Vermeer. I knew it was a Vermeer. I knew it. Oh, she didn't have the faintest idea. Always prattling on about art and not recognizing a Vermeer when it was under her nose. She was a thoroughly stupid woman. And you killed her in that atrociously brutal way for what you'd have got for that painting. It would have enabled you to buy a tea shop, would it not, Miss Gilchrist? I was going to call it the palm tree. I, I meant to start it in a nice neighborhood where nice people would come in. I had thought of rye, or perhaps Chichester, oak tables and little basket chairs with striped red and white cushions. If you would come with me, Miss Gilchrist. Oh, certainly, Inspector. I don't want to give you any trouble, I'm sure. After all, if I can't have the palm tree, nothing really matters very much. I've never imagined a ladylike murderer. It's horrible. Oh, I've just come back from the Assizes. They brought in a verdict of guilty, of course. After my investigation, they could hardly have done otherwise. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up in Broadmoor. She's gone right over the edge since she's been in prison. Perfectly happy, though, and quite gracious. Spends most of her time making plans for a chain of tea shops. And how are the members of the Abernethy family disposing of their newfound fortune? Susan is opening a cosmetics business. Uh, but it may be some time before the wretched Gregory joins her, if he ever does. He's uh, having a rest cure, as she puts it. And Rosamond Shane? Giving up the theatre for good, or so she says. Aha. That accounts for the visit to Harley Street. She will play the role to perfection. Already I see the most delightful pictures of mother and child in the sketch and the tatler. But I fear she was deeply disappointed when the murderer turned out to be Miss Gilchrist. She had fervently hoped that it would be George. <laughs> Perhaps he will do it one day, she said. What fun if he did. Ah, mon vieux, I have heard murder called many things, but this is the first time I have ever known it to be described as fun. Perhaps my little grey cells have been missing something all these years. In Agatha Christie's After the Funeral, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat. Mr. Entwistle, Frank Thornton. Inspector Morton, John Baddeley. Miss Gilchrist, Jennifer Piercy. Helen Abernethy, Tessa Worsley, Maud Abernethy, Jill Balkan, Timothy Abernethy, John Hartley, Susan Banks, Fritha Goody, Gregory Banks, Trevor Rawlins, 
Rosamond Shane, Tilly Gaunt, Michael Shane, Tam Williams, George Crossfield, Ian Masters. After the Funeral was dramatized by Michael Bakewell. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>